Good morning. It is good to be with everybody this morning. I just want to say I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I do understand, um, you know, after you eat your Thanksgiving meal, it's okay to go to sleep. So I hope today I don't see sleepy eyes still left over from all the, the turkey that you ate. But I hope you had a, just a great time with your family and enjoyed them. And maybe they're still in. And maybe um, my guess is there's some of you still have another Thanksgiving meal this afternoon. I don't know. But uh, uh, hopefully that you just have a great, great time. Appreciate uh, Jason. Uh, I'll be praying for him. I am going to... Uh, um, he's sitting for a reason. He's having some major back and neck issues, so that's why he's in a chair today. And so just be praying for him, if you would. Um, and uh, just uh, he'll appreciate that, and I will too, as we uh, come together. Christmas shop is in two weeks from today. Two, two, two weeks. That means I hope that you have been one. Uh, I already decided what you're going to volunteer and do. If you've not, please go back and, and fill out that form. Uh, I hope that you're already in the, got your eyes on shopping and purchasing things for a wide variety of ages, all the way from teens all the way down to newborns, and uh, you'll be hearing more and more. If you are not a part of our midweek, you need to be a part of our midweek this week because we'll be sending out information about the teams and when they start working, when they, everything starts showing up here, and all those types of things. So please uh, be looking for more information the next two weeks, and there may even be multiple communications about that throughout the next two weeks, so that you'll be informed about when and where to be and ready to go on the 9th of December when we have our guests come in and we do the Christmas shop. So we're looking forward to that. Please be praying uh, more than just for things and more for, than just for um, we do this thing. It's really just about opportunity and people and conversations. And so we need to be praying that God uses conversations because those are the greatest things that could happen on that night is conversations. It's not really what's being, what's being picked up and wrapped and taken home. Those, those are cool things. But the prominent thing is the conversations, the love, the authenticity, you being you. I'm going to ask you not to put on your best I'm gonna ask you to, you to be you. And when you're you, then you are really will be people who love the way you love people already. So just be that within your heartbeat uh, with people. We're so excited that that's coming up. So please be praying about that. This morning, we're, we are in Luke 19. We are in this um, treasure talk as we've, we wrap that up before we head into Christmas. Oh, can you believe it? Anyway, we had this treasure talk. Watch this video, if you would. This is, a, this is an oldie. Some of you, well, most of us probably wouldn't remember it all originally, but anyway, enjoy this video. Mike the cop. Uh, listen, I've got to get you a job. <laughs> Oh, they're, they're always good for a laugh. Confusing, loaning money, loaning this, loaning that. The world of borrowing and loaning is a world that is often kind of strange to us anymore, is it not? Outside of, uh, we use credit cards and we go to the bank for a loan. But when's the last time you borrowed something? When's the last time you went to a neighbor and said, hey, I need a cup of sugar? We don't do that anymore, do we? The art of borrowing amongst each other is pretty rare now. What do we do instead? If I need a cup of sugar, you know what I do? I don't go to my neighbor's Bob and Zizi's. No, 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 I don't, go, I don't go over to their house. I drive past their house. Well, I used to drive past their house. I go down to Walmart, right? I go buy it for myself. I go buy my sugar so I can have it my, myself. The last thing I borrowed was a mower from my neighbor, Dave. And uh, that was because my mower was broken down and I hadn't bought a new mower yet and hadn't got the other one fixed. Do you understand what I'm saying? My mentality was I borrowed it for a moment, not for a long period of time because I knew I was gonna buy it myself. We live in a culture, we live in a time where borrowing or loaning something from somebody is not, not normal to us. We live in a world where we own it. 
It's mine. It's my house. It's my car. It's my mower. It's my yard. It's my fence. It's my, my, it, we, we attach my to everything. Everybody in our, in our economy, our economy is based on this culture of mine. Because that's why Black Friday worked, right? Everybody wanted their video. Everybody wanted their copy. Everybody wanted their type of thing so they could give it to somebody else so they could have their... So you understand, we, we have this mentality of ownership. And because of that, it really fights against the worldview of which God sets up for us to understand more honestly and truthfully our lives, because that world, that mentality of, of, of full ownership of everything that I have and everything about my life is mine, even, even we could argue our body. It's my body. You can't tell me what to do with my body. It's our world's culture. And Jesus wants to remind us that our life is really on loan. Luke chapter 19. If you want to open your, your Bibles or your phone or whatever device you might have that you read God's word with, I encourage you to open that up, take a look at it. Jesus here is in Jericho. This is actually a parable that Jesus tells, as Luke has it, right after his experience with Zacchaeus. A lot of times we think Zacchaeus is just this independent little thing. It happens and, and he moves on. But, but Luke records that he tells a parable after it. And he tells this parable because Jesus makes a statement about Zacchaeus' home that salvation has come. And because they were in Jericho, which is right outside of Jerusalem, because it was close to Jerusalem, that there was a thought amongst the people in their mind that Jesus was saying that the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom has come. It's going to come today. It's going to become reality. And Jesus all of a sudden teaches this for a couple of reasons, but one of them is to, clar to clarify for them that his kingdom is still yet to come. So let's, we have a lot to learn from this text. Let's, let's take a look at it. We're going to start chapter 19, look at verses 11, all the way through verses 27. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to be to, be, to appear at once. And he said... A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10, ten minas and put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. And then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to to find out what he had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your, your mind has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second man came and said, Sir, your, your, your mind has earned five more. And his master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mind. I've kept it laid away in the place of of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You, you take out what you do not put in. You reap what you do not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, you knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I would have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take this minor away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minus. Sir, they said, he already has 10. 
He replied, I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be over, king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. It's not your little happy text that you expect this morning, is it? As a matter of fact, when you read this text and read this story, it, it, it kind of takes you back a little bit. And I encourage you always, even as, as I'm reading, that you ask the Spirit to, to work through you. And as you read the text yourself and reread some things and try to, try to come to grasp with it. But uh, there's some principles and some things that, that we need to learn here. And, and the first thing is this, that we live on alone. Jesus is st- telling us in this story, in this, encounter, this parable, that our lives are really not ours. They're loaned to us. Everything we have has been loaned to us, and it's from God. He is the master of them all. Psalm 24 says this. It says, the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. Isn't that a great truth to be reminded of this morning? Wait, wait a minute. That everything that we have is on loan. Everything you used to get ready this morning. You slept, did you sleep well on God's bed? How was God's floors this morning? Were God's socks nice and warm when you got them on? Was the God's hot water this morning good? How was the car and God's car as you drove here this morning on God's roads? How was, how was the coffee that you drank this morning in God's house, in God's coffee? Was it a good brand of coffee this morning? Did they mix it well this morning? Do you get, do you get what I'm trying to say? It's not a little thing that's God's and everything else is mine. It's everything is God's. Everything belongs to him. They are his, and they're his. They gave everything that we have belongs to them, and we are called to be his stewards. We're his managers. We're the ones that are responsible for what we do with this earth, what we do with our relationships, what we do with our finances, what we do with our time, what we do with our thoughts. Everything that we have is his, and we are stewards of it for only a season. Life is called a vapor. It's short, even though for us it seems like it's a long, a long time, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, uh, 100 years, whatever it may be, it's still short and it's still a vapor. But no matter what, we are still on loan. Everything about it is a loan to us. And the master, even in this story, we got to realize that he gave them this loan to work. It wasn't given to them to be passive or to be wasted. And we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. But there's a few other things that we need to look at. First of all, it's just grasping the idea that your life is really on loan from God. And you really don't have the ownership that we, we, we think that we have. Another thing is this, the, the king will return. You see, Jesus here is actually talking about reality of history as he teaches us. This isn't just some random story that he kind of makes up. He is literally speaking history into place as he, as he teaches this. He talks about the truths that are yet to come, but he uses the human environment to expose a heavenly reality. And Jesus here uses this story to help the hearer know that the kingdom is not to come and the kingdom will come. As a matter of fact, in a few days after this chapter, if you continue to read, Jesus will be rejected. It will become a reality. As a matter of fact, if you go back and look at the story, Jesus talks about not only did they, they rejected him as king, they sent actually a group of people to go, we don't want him to be our king. We, we do not want to, to, to honor him as king. We don't want to submit to him as king. We do not want him to be king at all. And only in a few weeks and a few months from the, Jesus teaching this, Jesus is taken to Pilate by who? By the people refusing Jesus to be king. By the high priest, by, by the, the, the religious leaders of the Jewish community. And when they took them there and they, they, the Roman, Romans put him to death on the cross, what did they put above the cross? King of the Jews. 
And what did they do? As a matter of fact, one of the gospels says they sent a group back to Pilate to what? Say, take that down. Take it off. He's not our king. And they refused to do so. Because see, Jesus is saying there is a group that will fully outright reject the lordship and the kingship of Jesus Christ, but it doesn't matter because Jesus still will be king no matter what, how man responds to him. He still will reign and Jesus will return. Jesus reveals that he is coming back no matter what we think about it, no matter what we, our opinion of it is, no matter what our theology is, Jesus will return and his, as he's promised, he has promised to do so for, for many years. It's hard to believe. Matter of fact, most of us live as if Jesus isn't going to return. Even believers, even those who church, we don't talk about it in church enough. It's not preached about enough, I'll be honest. But the reality is Jesus Christ will return, and every day is not guaranteed. For many, you don't think about it. For others, you may think about it occasionally. But hardly any of us, I would say, have that one truth that will actually change how we live each day. The fact that today is the day that the Lord may return. Today may be the day that the Christ reigns and puts all things in order. We live our lives too often as if there is no God. There is, Jesus is not coming back. There is no accountability. And my life is my own because it's mine. Because that's what my culture tells me. But that's not what Jesus tells me. We claim ownership where there is really no rightful ownership at all. And even in this, for some of you, this may be like, I'm kind of freaking out this morning, Tim. I'm not sure I want Jesus to come back. Well, the reality is that he is coming back. The question really is, 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 am I ready for that? And we're going to talk a little bit about the reduction of fear in the thought of Jesus' return and replacement of fear with joy and anticipation because it'll be a great, great day. Beth loves to go shopping, uh, and I'm not talking about Black Day or Black Friday shopping or anything like that, but she just enjoys to go shopping. And some of her days off, uh, and, and I'm working, and I'll be coming home for lunch or whatever, and she's not home. And she'll she'll call me and say, "Hey, I'm going to go grab just a few things. I'll I'll be I'll just be back in just a few minutes." And that few minutes all of a sudden turns into an hour, and that one hour turns into two hours, and that two hours turns into three hours. I'm like. I saw the list. There were like four things on that shopping list. How can we, how can we be at four hours and, and she's not back yet? And, and I, so I'll, I'll call her and say, hey, hi. And she knows it's the call. She knows it's like, where have you been call? I don't have to, my tone probably even says, I'm like, hey, so how, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Did you get on your list? Yeah, I'm just... I'm just looking at baby clothes for the new grandkid. And I'm like, sorry, is this a dawdling day? That's what I call it, a dawdling day. And she goes, yeah, I'm just dawdling. And that's an old term. You can look it up, like Google it or whatever. Figure out, what is dawdling? That's such an old word. And it just popped, you know, it's like, she said, it's just a dawdling. So you just kind of wander and meander and just, what is just, you know, carefree. And I love it. I love that she has to do that. And many people think that Jesus is dawdling. Jesus' return is like, he's just kind of wandering, he's just kind of waiting, he's kind of doing his thing, he's kind of chilling. So we get to go do our thing and he's doing his thing and it doesn't matter because he's just kind of taking his, no, 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 no. He's not thought, he is fully engaged and his return will be at the, the, the perfect moment, the perfect time of his return. He is not slow, but matter of fact, he right now, he is patient because he desires all men to be saved. The question is, do we have that same heartbeat in order that all men may be saved as well? Are we too busy too busy chasing and spinning life as if it's our own with no concern of what the king wants us to be doing with our own lives. 
because he will return. There is accountability. Scriptures are filled with it. Luke chapter, I'm going to go through just a few scriptures. Luke chapter 12, verse 40 says, you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Acts 1, verse 11 says, men of Galilee, they said, why do you, this is an angel speaking to them at the, at the, after the ascension, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from the he- you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, command with the voice of the archangel and with a trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Uh, again, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 through 2, it says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He will return, and he will come back. But when he comes back, it's more than just him returning, because you see, if you go back to the parable that Jesus teaches in Luke 19, the king gave these, these gifts, these financial gifts with expectations. We can't miss this. This isn't just go do whatever you want. There's certain expectations that Jesus set with this. I, I love when I do premarital counseling with couples. One of the sessions we, we work through is expectations. What do you expect each other as a husband and a wife? And you get some really fun answers uh, that, that you get, you know, about how, keep, keeping the house clean and all those things that when, when you're young and you don't know better, you know, you think, I have this expectation of you and I have this expectation of you. That we spend every holiday with my parents. Um, I just sit there and go, oh, that's going to be a few fights. You know, you know what I'm saying? There's going to be a few, few wars over that. There's expectation, But it's so important because, because without clear expectations, right, things, things get really messy and ugly in relationship. And Jesus, God sent Jesus to this earth to clearly communicate expectations upon his people. You see, we today don't sit with a lot of, I mean, we have a lot of questions about God, but as far as what God expects of us, Jesus is really clear here in this teaching. He says, I gave this with expectation. Go and do something with it. Go and produce something with this. And if we stop and think about it, it's the same thing. If you loan something to somebody, you expect them to do something. If I came and borrowed a mower, you expect me to use your mower and not just put your mower in my garage and say, oh, no, that's my mower now. Right? You expect me to use the mower knowing that someday you're going to come knock on my door and go, hey, I need my mower back because my yard needs to be mowed. There's that, that's how it's lived out. It's how it's carried out. There's a certain expectation with that. And there's expectations uh, on all those types of things. But Jesus' expectation is quite interesting here. He said, my, my expectation is you to give it, but to multiply it. I, I want it to be given in order that it may grow and expand. Jesus gave two commissions. The scriptures tell us of two commissions in scriptures. One occurs in Genesis, and the other one before his ascension we read in Matthew 28. The first, ascension, the first commission is when, when God created Adam and Eve, when he created the earth, when he created the animals and the birds of the sky. He created all of that life, and he gave this loan, this gift of life. That was temporary. Stop and think about it. It was temporary, right? When sin entered in, it became temporary. And this life that he gave us, and he said said to all creation, go forth and do what? Multiply. The gift of life was given in order that as it grew and matured, it would reproduce. Right? That's why if you have 
trees that have seedlings on them and they fall everywhere and they make a mess in your yard. That's a part of the reproduction system. It's what God designed to multiply because it was given life, not to be life in itself, but to produce new life. Does that make sense? We do it in our own world, right? We do it in our own lives. We grow and mature. We want our own families. We want our own kids. We, 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 we continue to do the same cycle. We have generation after generation after generation because it's been designed that way. And God says, I, I'm sending you out to multiply, to, to, to fill the earth. And it's the same thought, of not only just our bodies, but also in this spiritual component of our life that God tells us, listen, I'm gonna send you out, disciples, those who, who love me, those who follow me, those who've confessed to me, that he then sends out in Matthew 28. Again, sounds very similar to the Genesis when he says, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them, telling them to be obedient to my teachings and take it to the far, right to the far reaches of the earth and I will be with you always. There's an expectation of being a follower of Jesus Christ and it's not just coming to church, it's just not filling the seat but it's literally relationally following him day in, day out and asking him to use you to multiply the gospel and the kingdom of Christ because that's what he's called us to. He's invited us into a relationship of discipleship and that discipleship doesn't end on itself. It's not like Jesus says, I'm gonna give you the gift of eternal life and forgiveness and grace and hope and joy. I'm gonna give those all just for you to sit in a little corner and wrap your arms around and go, this is so sweet. I'm glad God and I are like this. And the rest of the world just kind of goes by. He has called us with expectation, has given us with expectation. He expects us to invite others to join us as we follow Christ himself and so that they too may come to know the salvation and the grace that we know. More than that, that they may come to know their God and creator. The sin is keeping them at a distance. The question we have to wrestle with is what am I doing with my gift? What are you doing with your gift? What are you doing with your life? What is your life producing? And I'm not talking about an income. I'm talking about kingdom economy. What is my life doing? Am I living in a way that reproduces and produces a harvest for God? Am I bringing hope where there is hopelessness? But not only is this a sense of expectation, but there's a sense that there's also judgment. That's the hard part of this. We, we don't like to read these texts in our Christian culture today, this concept of judgment. We like the gospel of grace, right? Everything's forgiven and everybody can go and do their own thing. Woohoo! Let's all go and let's just enjoy life. Unfortunately, that's not the full gospel because the gospel does hold accountability. And when he returns here, it says that the kingdom, king will judge the investments. There's a day of reckoning. It's like, the, it's like the parable. When the king came back, the first thing he did was he rounded everybody up and he took inventory. He, he wanted to see and look. And for those who failed, for those who were so afraid of him, for those who were afraid of God, that lived in fear of God and basically did nothing with it, hid it in a corner that was taken away from them. And for those, he says, that rebelled against him, they were killed. They were cast out. They were not included. And we look at that and go, wow. And I'm gonna say, yes, God is serious about this. So serious that he sent his son to die in order that we may have an option of not being cast out. But the question we have to wrestle with here is, is am I engaged in that? Do I, do I, have I come to that salvation? You see, we need to talk about this because it's true. Judgment day will come. There will be a judgment day for us. There will be one there. Now, please understand me. Listen to this closely. 
For those who have given their life to Jesus Christ, who have been immersed in the hymn and the baptism, who, who confess him as the Lord of their life, for, for, for those who do that, for, for we who know that truth, there is this, this forgiveness that's come and the judgment day will be different. My sins themselves will not be judged on that day because Christ paid that price. He paid the price for my sins and it died. my sins died on that cross when my faith in him and as we are saved by God's grace through faith. Those are all true things. But what Jesus tells me here is there is still a judgment of what I do with that salvation of my works. Now I'm not saved by works, I'm saved by grace. But that grace produces a work. That's what we have to understand. It's not a ticket so you can go and do what you wanted to until you die and then you cash in the ticket. Jesus says, if you are my follower, then you are my disciple 24-7 and you have a love relationship with me that carries you all the way through and we will be held accountable with what we do with the gifts we've been given. I will be held accountable, you will be held accountable. And as much as we don't, want to, we don't want to admit that, we don't want to deal with that, the reality is that that's a true thing. But what I love is this, that the God has given us his Holy Spirit that allows us to be empowered to move forward and to, okay, this, I, haven't, I haven't grown in this area. Well, the Holy Spirit's gonna help you grow in that. He's gonna move you, shape you. He's gonna be, begin opening your eyes and opening your heart to be able to be one who's a disciple of Christ, who works and follows Christ in all that he calls us to, no matter how difficult it may be. Because that's just what we need to understand. There is an accountability. And I know that may produce fear. I'm gonna talk about that here in a little bit. But, but listen to these texts. Romans chapter two, verses six through eight. It says, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who, have been pers- who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and mor- immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who s- are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. In 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 1 and 2, and then verse 5 says, This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove, prove faithful. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each time, each will receive their praise from God. 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, For we must... All appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, Jesus says this, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. These are truths that we need to wrestle with, but these are truths that shouldn't create in us this great fear because what happens? Go back to the parable. What happened to the person who feared? What did they do? They closed down. They shut down. They did not live life. They did not do it. So God doesn't tell us this to go, hey, you need to be really afraid because, hey, it's gonna come down on you hard and I'm just out to get you. That is not what he's trying to tell us. What he's trying to tell us is it is a reality. We are held accountable. It can be very scary. If we, if we reject him, if we refuse him, if we become stubborn before him, even, even for those who have given their life and all of a sudden you're just like, I want nothing to do with God. I wanna walk away from God. God goes, I love you. I will pursue you. But if you wanna rebel against me, that is your choice and there will be consequences to those choices. But what the flip side of that is this. I can live in confidence in a God who loves me. I can live in confidence that he has provided a way for us. I can live in joy knowing that his grace is sufficient. I can, I can live in peace knowing that God is the one who pursued me first, not I who pursued God. 
and I can be at peace with God and I can be at peace with other people. I know that it, when judgment comes, when I know that judgment comes, I can cry out the name of Jesus because I've been walking with Jesus all the days of my life rather than just pulling out of a, pulling out like I hope this works. Jesus Christ provides for us and he calls us to invest in eternity. And that's what he calls us when he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And that's what's, that's what's gonna last, right? You wanna make an investment in something that's gonna last. The fires in California have been tragic. I, I'm sure many of you have seen images and pictures of, of paradise. I, I think of that community because that community is about the same size as Plainfield. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Population-wise, Plainfield. 24 hours, Plainfield burns to the ground. Process that. What's left? Ashes, steel, brick. But everything's gone. For those families who live there, everything's gone. Except for that which is eternal. Because here's an eternal part of you. So if I want to invest in eternity, then I need to begin investing in people. I need to be investing in conversation. I need to be investing my time in the people and in the relationships that bring about hope, that bring about salvation. I need to be about spending my energy that, that, that takes people who feel like there is no hope, that there is, there, the life is no good, and, and reveal to them a father that, that loves them and bring them and journey with them and befriend them and just love them to the place where they get to know of a greater love than ours, and that's in Jesus Christ. We need to invest in something that is bigger than ourselves and take opportunities to do that. We need to do that in, in, in a way that shows, reveals Christ. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says this, command those who are rich in their present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Invest, give, be generous, love. Generous in love, generous in task, generous in time. Those are hard things for us to do. Plainfield Christian Church as a whole has been talking on all campuses about this generosity, about understanding that our life is alone, that we need to learn to be rich. We need to practice generosity. And so we wanna help practice generosity and we want to, to ask you to be praying for something when it comes to this generosity because we want to engage you with an opportunity to be generous. Uh, the leadership of Plainfield Christian Church has decided that they, they, we are in the process today of giving $10,000 away through you. Meaning that the leadership is $10,000 are in gift cards. And we're asking you to ask God to help you know how you can impact someone else's life. We have five of those cards, five envelopes with the gift card of $100 inside of it. 
And I, w- I want you to process through this. I don't want you, I want you to, this is not for you. This is not a, something to go, this is something for you to ask God to use you. And you may already have somebody in mind. You already may know somebody in your life uh, that, that could use this as we enter into this Christmas season or not even into this Christmas season. It could be just somebody that's got certain bills or needs grocery, whatever. You get to do with it whatever you want. We're not telling you what to do with it. We're not telling you where to go with it. We're just telling you that you need to prayerfully ask the Holy Spirit to lead you, to guide you, to give it to the people that God wants you to give it to in generosity. And when you give it to them, you give it to them not in the name of Plainfield Christian Church. This isn't about us. It's about a God who's generous. It's about Jesus who's generous. And that's the one, the name you need to to elevate. That you just need to simply say, here's a gift. God's been just, I've been seeking God to who to give this to and he's led me to you and may the Lord Jesus bless you this December and walk away. It can be that simple. It could be somebody you know. It could be somebody that you know is in great need that you just simply go and give it. I want you to pray about it. If, you're, if, you, if the Spirit is already leading you and you already know, or maybe you, you just want that challenge to be so engaged. God, I, I want this challenge to be engaged to do this. And, and maybe you have the finances to do it yourself. Maybe this morning you're going, I don't need that. I, I can have my own. I'm gonna go grab my own card. Maybe it's gonna be 50 bucks or 25 bucks. And I'm gonna participate out of my own, own pocket in this. Then, then do it. Practice being intentional with the Holy Spirit. Practice being generous. Practice understanding that that which God has given to you has not been given to you to be yours, but to be given away. That changes everything. And so I encourage you. They're gonna be in back in the Connection Center. Riley will be there. The only thing we ask of you is that you would write a name, your name and an email. That's it. And, and, and if you wanna share the story of how everything played out, we would love to hear that story. If you don't, that's all good. But for, for, for purposes, we do need to have a name, and Riley will take care of that for you. But moving on, this is the beauty of this text today. Because Jesus pays this great price. Talk about a generous God. Talk about a generous Lord. He laid it all down for us. We're gonna come to a time of communion, the emblems Every week we remember them. And every week we can say it can be so redundant. And I pray that every week, I pray that your heart comes refreshed to the communion. Because it reminds us of our generous God. So generous that he spilled his blood on the ground so that we could be, our sins could be forgiven. So generous that that Jesus left the heavenly realms, took on human flesh in the form of a servant, did not see it of grasping the Godhead. He let go of the Godhead so that we may know him and have everlasting life. Jesus has given so much and he continues to do so. And these emblems today, as the the guys will come forward here in a little bit and they're gonna serve these, I pray that that you and the Lord will enjoy that. You'll be one, grateful for that which he's given for his generosity, but two, that these emblems of generosity will spur you on to live a life of generosity as well. Let's pray. Father God, today we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your generosity. We thank you for an opportunity. But Father, move us. Forgive me that in my own heart I have been greedy. In my own heart I have been been possessive. In my own heart, Father, I have laid claim and ownership to too many things. So help me to let go. And help me to embrace that which is eternal, you.
Help us to invest, Father, in eternal conversations. Help us to invest, Father, in ways that bring peace and hope. And thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Let us keep our eyes focused on the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us follow. In Jesus' name.